Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And here we are. We're still at, uh, at uh, Dev Intersection as we're recording this intro. Yes. And uh, Dev Intersection was, is a great success. I did my talk yesterday. It was yeah, awesome. Yeah. And uh, we're doing the giveaway tomorrow night. Good time. The you had a good show, right? Yeah, I had a good show. You know, we're going to do our classic closing session, which yeah. if you've never been to Dev Intersection, we had a little laugh. Yeah, it's it's good fun. We are slightly silly people. Slightly that's silly, especially after a show. I'd say at the end of the show, we're all a bit punchy, but yeah. that's that's for sure. But I like our clothes. I think it's some, make something that makes our show special. It is fun. Especially fun to humiliate people before we give them a prize. <sighs> Try not to be too mean. Yeah, well, we do. We do. But I'm the guy who's down with the, the quote-unquote contestant. <laughs> and there's been times <laughs> where I was afraid they were going to faint. And it's like, <laughs> I, okay, you, you, I think you gave the answers B. Here you go. Go sit down before you fall down. <laughs> That's it. It's hard. It's hard to be under the spotlight. Right, right. Everybody in the room can get it because they're not on that spotlight. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah. challenging. All right. Well, anyway, roll the music for Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? All right. Well, this is just out of left field. It's another app that okay. I like. It's a food network in the kitchen. And it's an app? It's an app, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of recipe apps that you can use, and, you know, Epicurious comes to mind. Yep. And you can also look stuff up. But what's cool about this is that you can make meals with voice commands. What? Yeah. So you basically can talk to it and have a conversation, and there's more than 70,000 recipes all sorts from all, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert, whatever you want. Uh, everybody knows I'm keto, so this isn't, it's not a keto app, but uh, I'm just saying if you like to cook and you like to have help, usually if you have, I usually have my laptop in the kitchen or a tablet or something right. so I can look at a recipe. Well, this takes it one step further. Awesome, dude. Kinda That's cool. really interesting. Okay, yep. cool. Food network in the kitchen. Who's nice talking one. to us? Uh, it's the show before Christmas. Yep. And so I wanted to grab this comment. It's actually from show 1600, which is a superconductor geek out. Yeah. And I know I'm only read geek out comments on geek out shows. Yeah. But this was not really a comment about, well, somewhat geek out, but more about Christmas. Right. Because on that show, we asked each other the $5,000 question. That's right. And I mentioned lighting systems, oddly yeah. enough. I don't <laughs> think anybody was surprised. You certainly weren't surprised. <laughs> uh, and this particular comment comes from Matthew Moore, who says, it's a bit off topic, but in the section where you said what you do with the money, you talked about the casita switches by Lutron. Are you still using lumen cache lighting? Hmm. And that's the low voltage stuff, the LED stuff. Right, and yet, DC. DC lighting, exactly right, which you did a whole geek out around ultimately. Yeah. And yes, I'm still using lumen cache in the basement. And if you're wondering, well, why are you using Casita upstairs and we're using lumen cache in the basement, is mm -hmm. I actually have to change all the light fixtures. Oh. So the reason we put lumen cache in the basement is that we'd had the flood and all the walls were torn apart. Right. You had an opportunity to do that. Exactly. And it was sort of a commitment. It's like, well, we're already cutting every wall. Why don't mm -hmm. we cut them all the way up and just re, -re drywall the whole thing? It's about the same amount of money. Right. And then it's like, well, you're doing that. You might as well do the ceilings because we had ceiling damage and stains and things. And yeah. so it's like, we we'll do it all. And in the meantime, I was able to replace all the light fixtures. Wow. And that's what it takes to do a lumen cache because there are literally different fixtures. Wow. Could you fish it? Maybe. But that's a lot of work, like trying to yeah. work through existing walls and stuff. So this was while the walls are out, we can go from scratch. I right. hauled all the old wiring out yep. and all the old fixtures out, yeah. and which weren't damaged, right? We're using Cat5 wire? Most of the most of lumen cache is done with Cat5 if it's what they call a, continue, a, a constant 
current circuit. So they've actually dimmed by varying the voltage. Okay. And so that is allowed Cat5 because you're only allowed 300 milliamps through yeah. or 600 milliamps through a Cat5 cable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that takes a very particular type of light fixture. Mm. But it's super easy to wire then. Right. And then the fixtures are either 150 milliamps, 300 milliamps, or 600 milliamps. Mm. If it's 600 milliamps, you get one light fixture per wire. If it's 300, you get two per wire. Nice. If it's 150, you get four per wire, right? And yeah, you just cool. daisy chain the wires together. Right. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, believe me, like I'm really happy with what we did with the Lumen Cash, mm. but it's not a trivial effort. It ended up being roughly the same money because it was a lot of my own labor. Right. Um, but it's not mature. Yeah. For a geek like me, fine. I, if I ever sell that house, goodness knows how I'm going to explain it to the new owner, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, Matthew also asked the question, uh, would these switches work with said lighting? Mm. And it's like, no, the Casita system is high voltage, 120 AC. Mm. And I'm using it upstairs because I'm not allowed to tear the walls out upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I like being married. Uh, and so... <laughs> What I'm doing is retrofitting the light Allier system that's now no longer available mm. with these switches that are so much more advanced than the work we did back in 2003 and, yeah. and 2008. That just the Casita is just the next generation, yeah. and they understand LED lighting and and uh, and mercury halide lighting and all those different options. And then they're also have the voice control systems. This is just so much simpler. Wow! So it's just it's progressed. Awesome. Uh, and Matthew finished off by saying, I'm really interested in all this since the DC Lighting Geek Out. Still waiting for some equivalent in the UK. And by the way, Matthew, if you wanted to use LumenCache in the UK, it's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. You know, the, they, they, you would use a separate power supply, but the controllers are all low voltage. So mm -hmm. there's no reason you couldn't put LumenCache there if you're willing to go all the way. And maybe it's time for me to revisit some DC lighting stuff. Maybe. There's not a lot of technological advancements so far, but uh, product work and the light fixtures are cheap. It's, it's impressive. Mm -hmm. So Matthew, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Muse to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Muse to Code By, write a comment on the website at donnetrocks.com or on Facebook. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Muse to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet because ever since we changed over to tweet-powered lights in the studio, we need a steady stream of them. Yes, so, you do. Yes, we do. But if you vary the milliamps of your tweets, <laughs> the lights get brighter. <laughs> Geek. Geek. All right. Well, uh, tell me about this particular panel that you did in Bulgaria. So I uh, love panel discussions. This was mm. a group of uh, David Neal yep. and uh, Brandon Satram. Big fans. And Tara Manisic, who I'd met for the first time. Okay. Uh, all Node developers, all approaching Node very differently from each other, too. Mm. So they, uh, they sort of pulled things together. By the way, on the screen, I wish I had a picture of this. David Neal had hand-drawn so yeah. the relevant area, as he does. Yeah, he does that. He it's just sort of the relative areas of Node that are important, right? Wow. And so a little bit of conversation about IoT and workflow and web apps and so forth. It was fantastic. It was a great, cool. really fun conversation, very wide-ranging. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Let's roll the audio. All right, we're here in Bulgaria at the DevReach conference, and we're doing another panel discussion. This one focused on Node, and I would like to introduce our panelists, or better still, let's have our panelists introduce themselves, starting at the far end, Tara. Hi, I am Tara Manixic. I am a developer advocate for progress on the Kinvey team and a Google developer expert in web technologies. I started the Women Who Code branch in Cincinnati and also helped start the Node School branch in Cincinnati. And if you're interested in getting started with Node, I highly recommend uh, nodeschool.io, uh, trying that out. And I also uh, guest host and am the program manager for a, uh, a Node-centric podcast called Always Forward with Dshaw. 
So uh, some stuff to check out there. Brandon? Hi, I'm, I'm Brandon Satram. I, uh, I work for a uh, IoT hardware platform company called Particle, um, where I'm a developer advocate for them and help spread the uh, hardware love to software developers uh, all over the world. I am by trade a long-time and recovering uh, front-end developer and a uh, self-described and aspiring maker. And uh, by evenings and weekends, I also run a, a publishing company called Carrot Paint Studios, where we uh, build products designed to help get kids uh, interested in the world of electronics. Awesome. And, and yeah, the gadgetry of IoT, kids go crazy for it. As long oh, as you yeah. can make it move or make a noise. It's shiny and it lights up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What more do you want? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Mr. Nail. Hey, I'm David Neal. I go by Reverend Geek on the Twitters and social media and so forth. Uh, I am currently a senior developer advocate for Okta, who does authorization and identity management. Um, I am a recovering .NET developer, <laughs> on, uh, currently on the Node.js and Electron, all the JavaScript things these days. And I'm entirely made of bacon. <laughs> <laughs> You're keto friendly. <laughs> very, very keto friendly. Uh, yeah, I guess it's a little bit of a JavaScript centric conversation. You know, the show is called .NET Rocks, but we care about what .NET developers care about. And, you know, it's pretty powerful stuff. Why, why do you focus on Node, David? What does it do for you? Well, I've been a web developer since the late 90s. And um, you know, I, I grew to, you know, have this love-hate relationship with JavaScript. And eventually, I just gave in and, you know, embraced it for what it is. I, I thought it was a hate-hate relationship, well, actually. Yeah. With recent advances in the JavaScript language, it's not that bad, you nice. know, as bad anymore. Ringing and, endorsement. Right. <laughs> not that bad. You sure it's not just <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome? Like. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but, um, you know, when Node came out, it was kind of on my radar, and it was something I, I really wanted to investigate. And once I started using Node, it's like I kind of fell in love with programming all over again. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Wow. It's really it's interesting to be an experienced developer, and it's just there's things about Node that make you happy. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a profound thing. I, I guess you're going to be our IoT advocate, Brandon. I could do that. I'm happy <laughs> I to. Bet. Yeah. But it's JavaScript. When you talk about really lightweight gear like that, is JavaScript the way to go? It's not known for being ultra lightweight. And part of it, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think part of it is sort of changing the understanding of what an IoT application really looks like or what it entails. Right. The embedded systems piece of that, still a lot of the work happens with C, C++. Those are not scary languages, by the way. I highly encourage folks to check out those, those types of embedded systems in your free time. Mm -hmm. But... You know, when you're building an embedded system, there's so much of the work now in the IoT space that goes beyond the device itself, beyond the sensing, beyond the actuating, but actually getting data into the cloud, building web and mobile and cloud applications that actually work with those devices, work with those sensors and the data that, that come in in those, come in from those devices. And really there, JavaScript is the lingua franca of the, you know, what you have available in that space, whether it's a mobile app or web app or even, even a cloud app today. So we in Particle and me personally are very interested in the JavaScript community, and we do a lot of our work in uh, in the Node space as well, because that's really where we see a lot of the actual real IoT applications being built beyond the devices themselves. And I understand you sat very strategically to keep Tara and David separated. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
because you disagree. I really love bacon. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can I, I can appreciate that. Yeah. No. But to tag on and jump on the IoT chain, um, that's one of the great things about the asynchronous architecture of Node and the fact that you have the non-blocking event-driven. You have so many data sources coming in from IoT devices, like. So much data that one of the best ways to handle it is with Node, especially those data sources between your back end and the devices. Node is just made to handle that huge amount of data. What makes it better? Uh, the asynchronous architecture. Okay. And the fact that it's non-blocking. Right. So um, you're able to basically stream in all of that information at once, which is really nice. Like Tara said, I mean, there is, I mean, depending on the number of event sources you have or the number of devices, real IoT applications typically involve a lot of sensors, all right. streaming data in concurrently, reading sensor data every, you know, millisecond, microsecond, what have you, and all of that data coming in, you need to be able to parse it quickly, not get backlogged, not get blocked, and then send it on and do something with it. And it's just this sort of nature of node that your every instance is specific to the occurrence, like you're, you're, you're naturally stateless. Like, you can yep. do this in C-sharp. I just think you have to work at it to do it right in C-sharp. I think that's right. And who yeah. likes working, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nobody here wants to work. <laughs> well, and I, and I see serverless up in the artwork here on the board, too. Is it just mean that – do, do we look at Node as essentially serverless? Well, I put that up there because um, a lot of the serverless functions that are out there support Node or su support JavaScript. And so, right. it kind of lends itself to, to be a great – host environment for serverless functions. Mm -hmm. It's just, but then in that sense, how much of it is node and how much of it is just language? Like what, how do we separate the two? What is distinctive that distinctly nodish? Getting so well, deep. node is uh, essentially just a very small bits of framework on top of the JavaScript V8 engine. Right. right. So there's only, uh, they only added on top of V8, uh, the bare minimum needed for, uh, HTTP communications and file IO for the most, and, you know, events and streaming. Right. And, and when you're writing, when you're doing serverless functions with, uh, with Lambda or with an Azure function, those frameworks or those, that infrastructure is handling doing the NPM install, NPM install, all that stuff is actually still happening hmm. for you. You're just not spinning up a container. You're not spinning up a server. It's all there. It's still Node under the covers. You're using JavaScript as the language there, but it's Node that's actually handling package management and execution. So, it's a declaration time. in Node about a service you need that behind the, uh, under the hood then is doing the NPM call and, right. and setting things up. Right. But how long does that take? I don't look at package managers for their speed. So when you're, when you deploy a Lambda function or an Azure function, it, it's similar to doing any sort of other CI process right. or deployment to a server. You don't have to specify everything like you do if you're running your own server, you're running inside a Docker container or something right. like that. There is still a time involved. There's a deployment step, but once it's there, the function executes anytime its endpoint is hit right. immediately. And the, and the instance management and so forth is just automatic and serverless. Like yeah. that's not, this is where we get into the aspects that really are serverless. It's not that plumbing doesn't exist. It's that you don't own it. Right. And you don't have a lot of control over it either too. So it right. better be set up the way that makes you happy. Right. Uh, can we talk about a particular project? Anything you guys are really excited about what you things you've made? Oh, I thought you meant in regards to Node. I was in regards to Node. I yeah. mean, uh, like, w what's coming out with Node? So, we just got um, Node 10 marked as LTS and got a Node 11 release as current. Um, but they've been doing a ton of work with HTTP 2, and mm -hmm. I'm a little um, excited about HTTP 2. I just did a, a talk specifically on HTTP 2 um, 
at JS in Paris last week mm -hmm. because there's a lot of things um, that HTTP2 was really uh, hindering us with development, um, with web development in particular. Uh, like basically, we were making all these workarounds to make our sites faster and stronger, but still having to use HTTP1. Uh, and it took quite a long time for us to get to HTTP2. Um, nonetheless, the Node team put a lot of effort into making sure that we had a lot of the different strategies from HTTP2 wrapped up in Node. And the team's been doing a lot of work that we have things like server push, which right. now um, allows you to use um, basically the multiplexing strategy of being able to pass multiple resources over one connection, over one TCP connection. So now with Node, you can, you know, basically say, when you load this, also load these things. Let the server know what you want to send through so you're not doing multiple calls, which is great for not only developers, but the fact as users, we don't need to know what's going on. It's just the web is faster now for us. So that's really nice. I'm very excited about so that. So the main thing about HTTP2, and this has been true for most folks, is just this idea of everything comes down at once, the limited uh, limited number of connections then goes away. Yeah, and it's mostly because with HTTP2, now it's binary instead of textual, right. which that binary format is letting us break everything down into these small messages um, that we can send more and have streams that can streams can go bi-directional. So we can have multiple streams running at the same time. So it just basically... And took you're talking about st so stuff streaming from the browser back to the server as well as streaming from the server back down to the browser. Yeah, and mm -hmm. multiple streams multiple. at once from each direction. So, um, yeah, it's like a concept that we've uh, used, like Node has really a really great stream API in general. Yeah. Um, so, it's like teaming up all of these concepts that we have to work on the web for our users that finally give, like, let us have the technology catch up with the data that we need for websites nowadays. Yeah, and what kind of streams are we talking about? Like, what, what do you, I, I could see it in the IoT context where I'm just constantly sending messages. Yeah, and I mean, you're constantly sending requests and responses right now. So that's the kind of stream information that you have. Like, these messages are just, uh, you know, a bunch of messages is collated is, is basically your get and your, uh, your requests and your responses. Now. Mm -hmm. And in the context of IoT, this is actually really valuable because one of the things that I think a lot of folks don't, think much about until they get into prototyping an IoT solution is when you are doing request response every time you're reading a sensor and then you're sending that payload back, a lot of your payload is overhead, is the right. headers, it's the it's the acknowledgement, it, setting yeah, up the your connection. Because your packages are actually pretty small. Absolutely, absolutely. So some folks will roll UDP on their own or they'll deal with implementing their own TCP stack, etc. But this idea of being able to have a server that allows you to maintain a connection or a socket or a stream right. and being able to pass data and then not worry about that overhead. Because when you're on Wi-Fi, it's fine. But if you're on cellular and now you're paying four messages, you're thinking about a data plan, Right now you really, really have to get your payloads as small as possible. Yeah. And that can be really and why, valuable. And it, especially to burn it on overhead. All right, and right. I'm going to interrupt you for just a moment for this very important message. Hey, Carl here. If you enjoy music to code by, you or someone you know might be interested in the app, which I've generically branded music to flow by. See what I did there? <laughs> it's a subscription model. And if you bought the complete collection of Music to Code by before October 24th, 2017, you are eligible to win a free six-month subscription. With that, you get access to all the tracks on your phone with offline support. You get continuous play and even a sleep timer. 
Download music to flow by in your app store and flow on. And we're back. It's Richard Campbell here in Bulgaria at the DevReach conference. Second day towards the end of the day. So we're all just a little bit silly. And it's the <laughs> node development panel. And I've got David Neal and Brandon Satram and Tara. I'm going to tackle your last name. Is it Menisic? Menixic. Menixic. It's very close. Well, yeah. I got the, almost got there. Oh, Tricky. Okay, yeah. This uh, got got a lot of got a few constants there. Yeah, be careful <laughs> yeah. with it. It's a decent amount of letters in there. Yeah, no question. What's the the stack? What is your tooling for building Node apps these days? I guess I'll go first. Sure. I, I'm, uh, I, d- I do a lot of different kinds of applications over the last few years, and um, when I'm building server applications, I prefer the the Happy Stack. Happy Stack. Happy was created by Walmart Labs, and um, it's an alternative to Express, and it's got great uh, support for building APIs and so H A P Y H A P I H A P I and yep. what what are those ingredients? And uh, well, it just it comes from like Ren and Stimpy, and there's and and the whole all the components and everything that are part of the ecosystem have silly names, right? Uh, so it, it's a lot of fun to work with, but. The yeah, because I noticed Node isn't in the list, and there's no N in Happy. Right. Yeah. So it's not like the Mean Stack or something like that. It's right. Happy is just the name of the it. Node right. framework. And um, so I I really like the the Happy Stack for for doing Node apps. I've also built a number of command line applications, and I'll usually use something like Yargs or Commander to mm-hmm. parse uh, command line arguments. That makes it really uh, easy to to work with. And then I've built a number of Electron applications, which are desktop applications. Sure, GitHub's with, library. With Node. And, or is it uh, now Microsoft's library? Right. So <laughs> GitHub created Electron for the Atom editor and Microsoft. Uh, VS Code. Took, uh, took that and created VS Code. Yeah. And there's been a number of other uh, applications that have been created with Electron. Anything special you have to do to build an Electron app is just use the li- use that library that's got a compile step? Yeah, so you can use whatever front-end technologies you want to. It's not um, doesn't dictate what you want to use. So you sure. can use just plain jQuery or you can use Vue or React or Angular mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, even saw today where John was – Galloway was talking about using Blazor. In Electron. I love it. I mean, cool. mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait. I didn't want, I'm going to build, write code in C Sharp, stick it into a browser, compile it into an Electron app to make a desktop app. <laughs> right. That's not twisted at all. <laughs> so, but Electron is, is uh, at the, in the beginning, is, is just a standalone executable. And mm-hmm. you can take, there's, there's already pre-compiled executables for every platform. So you can take that along with your HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and and give that to someone. There's no dependencies, nothing else that they have to install or run. Um, so that's the, kind of the first line of defense for deploying Electron applications. Nice. All right. I will make a note. Um, so the guy who built Happy, Aaron Hammer, mm-hmm. has really great talks um, in the Node community in general, and I highly recommend checking them out. Um, and he just did one for Node Summit where he built a whole stage for his talk. A stage? Oh, yeah. With like a stage design with paper props and everything and talking about wow. cookies and whatnot. So, yeah, it's a, for a good time. Physical watch these stuff? Videos, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Digital people building physical stuff. (laughs) What a world. (laughs) What's going on? That's crazy. That's IoT development. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just how all of that little hardware. Yeah. That, uh, you know. We've recently done shows around some new, more little hardware. Like it's, it's. There's new stuff every day. Yeah. And it's yeah. so much power in such small form factors, but it's nice to be getting. I mean, you, you said very casually about programming in C++ being that's not a big deal. And it's like, it's kind of a big deal to a lot of people. They'd rather work in a friendlier language, quote unquote. Yeah. Well, and I, I think part of it, honestly, I think C++ can be intimidating for, mm-hmm. for sure. Although if you love semicolons and you love JavaScript, JavaScript, you're going to love C++ because it won't <laughs> let you mess up anything. <laughs> so it's perfect in that regard. It's just However, like JavaScript. The tooling has made it a lot, a lot easier. It used to be if you were going to do C++ development, your first, your first question was, how do I get a compiler on my, on my machine? Right. And then your second question is, where's the installation disk so I can reinstall the operating system because this compiler paved my machine completely and it didn't work. Right. <laughs> and so nowadays the tool chains problem is largely solved if you work with a vendor visual studio code actually makes a lot of this stuff really easy i mean you asked the question of everybody's sort of preferred development stack for me it starts and ends because i spend equal parts of my day doing firmware web mobile and cloud development i do a lot of my work in vs code because i can target an embedded system or i can target the web mobile via VS Code, and that's that's really powerful. But are you tending so, to code mostly in JavaScript in all of those platforms? And, uh, other than embedded. So, when I'm right. doing anything with embedded, I'm using C++, but beyond that, it is JavaScript. Right. So, whether it's in, in the case of mobile, I'm, you know, shout out to NativeScript, absolutely love NativeScript, but mm-hmm. I do embed, I do mobile development with, with JavaScript and NativeScript and web development with Vue, and then with uh, stuff I do in the cloud, I actually tend to, I'm intending to do serverless more and more because I find it really interesting. I built a an Alexa skill earlier this year that actually interfaces with Particles Device Cloud API to control devices. And I did all that using Lambda because it was sort of, it's A, it's Amazon's preferred approach, but B, it was like easy, easy development experience. You can actually do, uh, use the serverless framework. I don't know if y'all have, others of y'all have taken a look at that, but serverless actually gives you desktop and command line tools for managing serverless functions and automatically deploying those to your cloud of service framework for node or is this service it framework? is a node package so it's if yeah. you go to serverless i think it's serverless js just look that up or google that with bing whatever yep. your preferred choice is <laughs> i'll bing it with google bing it with google there you go <laughs> uh and and it, it actually has support for azure functions has support for lambda functions as well and you can do your development locally but then deploy to the to your serverless right. framework of choice well and in, in, in my mind iot battles the same thing that all mobile development does as well which is you're coding on a machine that's very different from what it's going to be run on absolutely and so that dev cycle is challenging it's longer it's more complicated i got to think especially when you get into some iot hardware like do you even try and emulate or do you have to just deploy to the device do you even have any idea what's going on you typically deploy to the device i mean the, the, the good news there is that iot devices tend to be drastically cheaper than buying new mobile devices right uh so you're talking 20 bucks for a new device versus a few hundred um I know Android devices can be quite a bit cheaper, but deploying to the device tends to be a choice. And then the tool chain there has actually gotten so much better that a lot of uh, a lot of embedded platforms will support over-the-air firmware updates. Mm-hmm. So as long as your device is connected via Wi-Fi or cellular, you can push new firmware without having to physically connect it to your computer. So you have a lot more options there. And as, and as soon as you poke on that sort of angle of the, those issues around IoT, I immediately think about the security pieces. And I think that can we talk a little about the security conversation for Node? Yeah. Because I don't know that it defaults to a secure strategy that, that folks actually have to think about how they're going to work in Node to be to in implement security. 
Well, I, and from the server standpoint, <laughs> if you're using a framework like Express or Happy, mm-hmm. they've already built into those um, some safeguards around like cross-site scripting and those those angles. Right. Um, so just like you would expect building on any modern web framework, uh, that's kind of handled for you out of the box. And defaulting to TLS. What about authentication strategies? Um, there's there's lots of options. You know, you got all of NPM at your fingertips. So there's the most common is to use um, session cookies uh, with. Um, there's a package out there for uh, adding authentication, and then there's there's frameworks like mm-hmm. Okta and, and Auth Zero and right. so forth that give you you know even more tools that make it very easy to to add secure. Uh, to secure your application. And Node 10 LTS shipped with uh, the updated OpenSSL um, package as well right. for um, for your secure socket layer. Um, so that comes standard with Node 10 now. I think this is an also also an area where the, the serverless frameworks tend to excel because in a lot of those cases, you're relying on their security infrastructure right. as well. So the same way you would secure the Docker container or an EC2 instance, you you have that baked into working with Lambda or case of Azure using Azure Functions. Well, it's the nice thing about using the public cloud, whichever one you use, is they want to bill you, so you kind of have to have authentication stuff going on anyway, and right. you just add it to your app right. and API management. And like it's an awful lot of plumbing that's hard work to do on-prem. It's pretty easy to do in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And as far as like TLS, um, a lot of people will tend to front node apps with uh, Nginx. Right. So you yeah. manage your certificates and everything there. And so you as a node developer, you're not really... You don't have to deal with you it. You don't have to deal with it. Yeah. You know, you're just, it's just part of your deployment. Right. It's great. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to remember that the men's and women's bathrooms in Bulgaria are clearly labeled... In Bulgarian. <laughs> I sent you your joke. <laughs> and you know why? I was headed to the bathroom, yeah, I, and I had to go back and forth between the doors to try and pick, what is this? <laughs> what you could, I couldn't tell. And I'm like, wait, this has happened before. I think that means orange. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I probably sent you that message in the middle of the night, but it's like, just I never... That's where I was. That's a good one. <laughs> All right. It's actually time to give away a $200 Amazon gift card. Compliments of Progress Telerik to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about the most comprehensive developer toolkit for building modern apps on the market today, Telerik DevCraft. With more than 1,100 Telerik.net and Kendo UI JavaScript components and controls, you can easily build modern, high-performant web, mobile, and desktop apps, as well as chatbots. The toolset also includes reporting solutions, automated testing, and productivity tools, and comes with a range of support options. New this year is a free online training program for all license holders. With this, alongside thousands of demos with source code, comprehensive docs, and a full assortment of Visual Studio templates, you'll be up and running with the Progress Telerik and Kendo UI tools in no time. Download a free 30-day trial today at telerik.com download and also, please consider supporting .NET Rocks by making a monthly pledge at patreon.netrocks.com to ensure that we'll be on the air for years to come. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Tomas Cole. Congratulations, Tomas. Golf clap for you. Golf clap for Tomas. <laughs> Tomas just won a $200 Amazon gift card from Progress Telerik just for being a member 
of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you'd like to be a member, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But got to sign up to win. I particularly like the Ren and Stimpy reference. <laughs> happy, happy stack. Happy stack, yes. <laughs> That's just really awesome. Uh, no no we, mean stacks here. No mean stack. Yeah. Well, mean, and means not even an acronym. You know? I know, It's, I it's know. kind of a silly one. It is. Should have, it, it, I don't know. I'm not going to go there. I'm done telling jokes. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, I'm done. For the next minute. <laughs> <laughs> Until next episode, at least. <laughs> well, let's get back to this great panel discussion. So. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology, what would you buy? Mr. Neal, any thoughts? Yes. Uh, the new iPad Pro just came out. Yeah, that'll be fine. You know, I, all Apple stuff is expensive. Yeah. And, and it might uh, cost you about five think, grand. Actually, it's five grand. I think five you, get, grand you get two as long as you don't have any adapters. Okay. <laughs> and one uh, Apple Pencil. And lots of dongles. Yes, and many, many dongles. <laughs> no, the new iPad Pro has got the, the new Apple Pencil that uh, is magnetic and charges wirelessly, which is awesome because I use the old iPad Pro and um, you have to... You know, it's like a selfie stick or whatever. It's like a really bad selfie stick. Um, <laughs> hey, there's a, those iPad Pros are looking more and more like Surface Pros every day. Uh, yeah. that, that's good. Thank goodness. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think I love my iPad Pro. And yeah. I, I think it's, it's awesome. Just a light, that lightweight, you know, semi-business. I, I need to do some type, but not too much. But it's interesting to see the pen come into that space. Yeah. It's cool. Brandon? Other than spending $5,000 for David to give me a private course on how to draw, yeah. <laughs> I think what I would probably do, I'll give the maker answer uh, as a hardware guy. There's a, uh, a 3D printer company called Prusa, and Prusa makes a printer called the MK3 that is one of the most phenomenal uh, 3D printers uh, that I've ever seen. I have a 3D printer, and I have 3D printer Envy because I don't have the Prusa MK3. It has a uh, quad extruder, so you can 3D print in four colors with four different at types same of time. filament at the still, same time. Still ABSPL. Still ABSPLA, yeah. and it actually works with you know newer works with things like bamboo fill and other types of uh, types of filament and things nice. like that. Really I've always had the soft spot for the resin printers. Like if I was really going to spend money. That's true. And they yeah. are. Prusa is coming out with a resin printer, so maybe I'd buy one of each with $5,000. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Be good the correct number of 3D printers is more, apparently. That's exactly right. Yeah, because there's more to print. So. Four yeah. colors at once. That's yeah. indulgent. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. All right. Tara? So, I've actually never thought about this. I tend to put blinders on uh, and focus on what I have. Yes. <laughs> and, nice. okay. and it gets very healthy. But, <laughs> and then, you know, <laughs> since I switched off of all Apple products, I don't have any reason, like, nothing breaks in order for me to have to buy a new one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it just works. It just Amazing. works until it upgrades. Then it needs to be replaced. <laughs> but um, I think I would actually invest in, uh, in research with uh, food 3D printing. Ooh. I think that's much more up my alley as an investment. Investment for more food. Yes, yeah. and, 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 and fun pancakes, right? Like yes. pancakes oh, yeah. with art. <laughs> Can I print bacon? <laughs> oh my God. Yes. You just got to find the right pig. Yeah. <laughs> pig, pig filament. <laughs> Maybe in our lifetimes, David. <laughs> One can only hope. Wow, no, it's just an automatic bacon weaver. There you go. <laughs> A man can dream. Yeah. I would like sheets of bacon, please. 
bacon filament. <laughs> All right. Boy, how are we going to talk about Node after bacon filament? I mean, I think that has to be the title of your podcast, right? <laughs> <Yeah. Bacon filament. laughs> the, the bacon filament conversation. This is why your last at net rocks was two minutes, because you went on to something mm. like bacon yeah. filament. <laughs> and it changed the know, topic. Carl's a big fan of bacon. There's no two ways about it. I, don't, I, I, I think the few photographs I actually post on Twitter tend to be bacon bombs. So, <laughs> uh, at least on more than one occasion. <laughs> Uh, I never did hear your your preferred dev stack there, Tara. Well, it's interesting because um, one of the things that I think is really great about Node and why Node has been adapted so much is the fact that um, it's made so well as developer. It's a developer friendly language. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying with C plus plus, it's not as uh, you know human readable, human friendly. I started in JavaScript or in Java in school, right? And as soon as I found JavaScript, I was like, get me out of here. Um, it's like, oh, I don't have to use Eclipse anymore. This is fantastic. So, Tooling. <laughs> so, um, so I, u- I actually, so I'm on a Windows machine and I'm using Ubuntu, uh, for Windows because I, I am a Vimmer. Um, so I, <laughs> really good, uh, joke Thank <laughs> coming. <you>. But, um, <laughs> But yeah, so uh, as far as coding in Node, what makes it really great is the fact that you don't have to have too much tooling around you. You do pull from the package management um, ecosystem a lot. And everything about Node, well, JavaScript as well, is very uh, module modularized and uh, set around bringing the tools in together that you need. Um, I started working on the Convey team and have been using Convey as my backend for, and they have like flex functions, um, great things with security, and just a bunch of tooling um, that help you basically build a bunch of services out without having to spend the dev time on it, without having to spend a lot of time, you know, jumping into code and writing a ton of code. So um, being able to do that on the back end lets me focus a lot more on the creations that I make on the front end. And then because of that, I'm basically just in the command line, um, keeping it very nerdy. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does seem that uh, a lot of Node folks I talk to are serious about the command line. Like that's where oh, they yeah. that's where they prefer yeah. to work. Although VS Code also wildly popular. But you know, what what do you use as an editor? I presume it's not Vim. It is Vim. It is Vim. Yeah. Okay. So, so, have, is, I, have a so very these pre-show jokes, they weren't no, they were no <laughs> jokes. Okay. <laughs> they, they have a very extensive uh, or a very detailed VimRC. I would use VS Code. There are things I like about VS Code, and I keep getting on the team because when you use Vim command shortcuts, Vim mode on VS Code, you lose keyboard shortcuts for VS Code, uh. which who wants to move their hands away from the keyboard, you know? <laughs> no, I'm totally with you. That's the whole point, right? Yeah. Especially for a Vim person, right? Yeah, you never take your hands off the keyboard. I remember resisting mice for a long time. It's like, why would you do that? Oh, yeah. And yeah. that, and it made look more like a foot pedal anyway. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I really appreciate about Visual Studio Code is um, it's got great JavaScript debugging support. Mm-hmm. Not, not mm-hmm. just for doing yeah. front-end development, but... Bugs in JavaScript? No. Perish the thought. Um, but it supports Node and it supports uh, Electron, and you can do all the things that you expect. You can set breakpoints and you can inspect those variables and uh, step through your code, and it it works fantastic. And it can continue in JavaScript. Not that far. All right, okay. <laughs> that's a step too far. That's you know, 
Uh, it's old, old school. But yeah, I, I do like that we can actually step through line by line in code. Yeah. And actually see what's going on and check the stack as we go. It's, it's powerful. And that's the, that's the VS Code JavaScript debugger. Yeah. And it even supports source maps as well. So if you're, if you're transpiling your code and are using something like a bundler, uh, it can read in those source maps and know actually where to go in, in the original code mm-hmm. to show you those breakpoints in step three. Awesome. Any other tools? You can use Logger. Logger. Um, standard is nice for linting. Um, I'm a, I, I really like being able to, uh, like you, one of the worst conversations you can have with a team is semicolons or not tabs. I was just going to say, let's have that argument now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, in my co- in my, uh, node code that I just did in my talk, I wondered, I had no semicolons in any of my node code. And I was like, right. I wonder. <laughs> I'll give you a high five. I'll give you a high five. I know I as well. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to. If you want, if you want semicolons, and C++ has got lots of semicolons. <laughs> yeah, in JavaScript, you can as many semicolons as you want. That's true, you and, do a lot yeah. of them. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it's nice to have something like standard and like um, that basically lets you set what you want all of your rules to be so your team doesn't have to, you know, you have the one initial argument and then it has to stick to the standard and that's right. really nice. little consistency between the devs too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And is it all, is everything GitHub these days? Is folks store their source anywhere else? I mean, GitLab as well. Yep. Um, Although they, I think it really got more popular when Microsoft acquired GitHub. Uh, yeah, probably. And, and, it, and, it, and if you did, you do know GitLab runs on Azure, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Microsoft's got you one way or the other, basically. <laughs> they want to be your friend. Right. That's really, all right. really want to be your friend. Right. <laughs> But I, you know, moving in the last year actually into um, more into the hardware world, I've been surprised to see that even into the hardware side of the world, there's still a preponderance of use of GitHub all the way down to schematics and layout and design files to firmware and code. It's all, it is, it is nearly universal among anyone that does design and development now at yeah. this point. Well, I, the number of folks even in sitting here that sent me a GitHub link for their bio and headshot. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I know it's, it's just basically become part of the life. Yeah. And uh, it's it does seem like the more contemporary tool. One of the spins I've taken in describing Node is to go back and talk about IIS and Apache as this was Swiss Army knives with every blade pulled out. Do you need anything? Here's everything. How about that? <laughs> and then you, Node was literally the opposite and like, so you'd like a blade, would you? <laughs> Tell me exactly which blade you would like. MPM install your own blade. But I I do think, I wonder if that actually made the the adoption curve of Node actually take a little bit longer because surely early Google searches around Node were, how do I start up an HTTP server with this thing, right? And then the answer is express, but it wasn't necessarily right away. And how long did it take where folks got kind of, okay, this is cool, this event loop, I get it, I don't get it, but how do I solve my problem? Because this is just a bare canvas for me to do something with. Yeah, one step at a time. Yeah, yeah. And I I do think it was literally the the radical swing the other way. It was like, no, let me tell you exactly what I want and nothing more. Right. Yeah. But it just speaks to, I think, what modern development is now, which is this configuration is code mindset. Mm -hmm. Everything is declarative. Everything runs. No documents. The document is the code. Mm -hmm. 
It's not a bad thing. You, you, you what, Tara? <laughs> it's what? Kind of a bad documentation is very important. <laughs> yes, especially if you can, especially if you can execute it. That's great documentation. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> oh. yeah. Executable API docs are m- so amazing. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. the best thing ever. Yeah, and, you know, I'm wearing my IT hat a lot these days. And, you know, any there's not a word doc in the world a dev's ever given me that was correct. <laughs> Because it immediately changes. It's right. like li- literally you can feel the electron shifting as the file moves across <laughs> the wire. It's like, yeah, no, that's almost right. This and this has changed now. It's like, you know, give me the thing I have to run. And then if it doesn't work, it's a bug. Not yeah. a, Oh, no, no, that's close, but change this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I get to turn into a grumpy old man. How did that happen? <laughs> been doing, doing this for long enough. <laughs> Maybe I don't have enough bacon in my life, David. It helps. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it does. <laughs> uh, all node in the cloud. How much are you running on prem? What's on prem? Yeah. What does on prem mean exactly? <laughs> what is this on prem you speak of? <laughs> I, have, I have cloud people sitting here. It's just like this is where this this is where you run the stuff. All on the cloud, unless yeah. it's an edge device. But I mean, I, none of the work now. I know that there there is definitely work, and this could be another episode altogether to talk about actually. Mm-hmm. JavaScript on edge devices, but most of what um, what I do and what Particle does is focused on um, you know C and C plus plus and embedded systems, and then everything beyond that from the edge to the cloud is JavaScript as much as possible. Right. So and it's all basically cloud all the it's way. It's all up cloud, and you know the way that we pass data the data payloads around is JSON objects. So mm-hmm. it's, it's it's sort of built with this mindset of you're going to be using APIs, JavaScript, to actually move data around. Yeah, and you prefer not to own the back end, the hardware where it lives anyway. Right. It's just it's just a waste of money, ultimately. right? Right. Paid by the transaction, and same. It feels to me, serverless now is the closest to that. It's like only the transactions I use. That's what I pay for. And I don't pay for anything right. else. Yeah. Oh, well, this is a little too simple. What's too hard? Simple. <laughs> what is hard in any of this? Security is still hard. In spite of all of that, secu- well, security whether it's in the on the server, whether it's on edge devices, yeah, there's still a lot of responsibility. There's not a great security framework that everybody loves. It's like you install this and it makes you do the right things. It right. makes you fall into the pit of success, right? Because I've never, I've yet to find something where I thought that was the experience that it was just that nice. Yeah, and you think Node's already got this substantial bar to jump over to to do the right things. To, to create the surface areas that you need. Right. Like just add, make security part of that process. Yeah. I mean, the challenge is that I think a lot of us, and this has been my case at serverless, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure most of us have been in those cases where you set up something in a cloud system and you used the default policies from the vendor and things didn't work. So you just changed it to allow all access everywhere. And then you never <laughs> went and turned it back off. Yeah. I mean, that's on us. That's not necessarily on the security frameworks. I mean, they try to give us sort of sensible defaults, but a lot of times when those things don't just work, we no. tend to go too far. The whole MongoDB exploit a couple oh, of years oh, yeah, ago yeah. was exactly that, that yeah. they recommended some security settings, but they were all off by default so that it wasn't a barrier to <laughs> entry. And that's what got deployed. Right. A- absolutely. So this, yeah. you know, security on by default thing, it's, I think it's necessary. It's just a question of whether it actually becomes enough of impediment that it drives you off the product. Right. And I don't know the answer to that question. I wish I did. Nor do I. I wish you did. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I would hope we actually get better on that. Um, what's coming for Node? What are you, what are you looking forward to? You just got Node 11, so everything's perfect. We're done. Finished. Well, we're on 10 because... That's the LTS. Right. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, a lot of work that they're putting in to Node. Uh, like, one of the things that makes me really excited about Node is 
the adoption of um, like with V8. It used to it used to not um, it, we would break every time there was a V8 update, right? Because they weren't paired together well. And then uh, V8 made Node a first class citizen. So part of the build process for V8. So there will so no update of V8 will break. Uh, because of Node. Don't uh, jinx it, Tara. <laughs> no. Well, there's a lot of people working to make sure that that's so. Less um, likely. <laughs> but, okay. Uh, so, that's, it's really great to have that seamlessness between those two to really make sure that we don't always have to be checking for what's breaking. But on top of that, it's... Um, you know, we have with ECMA, with ECMA script working with so closely with uh, Node, we're making sure that a lot of the updates that come through ECMA script are being put into Node very quickly, which is also just in part to ECMA script in general, mm-hmm. um, breaking down the releases to smaller chunks. Because, uh, like I say, like ES6 wasn't named that for how many years it took to release. Yeah. Uh, but that is how many years <laughs> it took to release. <laughs> hey, the, the whole naming problems in the Xmas script space <laughs> gave me confidence that it's not just a Microsoft problem. Naming <laughs> is hard. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, so th- what's really nice is everything that's exciting about, um, new things coming for JavaScript, we're getting a node immediately. Right. And so just how quickly, how, how fluid these things, VA, ECMAScript, and Node are working together makes it easier on us, the developers, to get more enhancements quicker and make our coding much faster and better. Cleaner. It's a very different style of JavaScript to work in Node. Like, it, it doesn't look like JavaScript when I read it. There's not that many differences. No, no it really isn't. Um, we do it's have... not talking to a DOM. That's the big thing. <laughs> well, Yeah. Um, but that's one thing that is really nice about being able to have JavaScript on, fr- on front and back is that a lot of the logic remains the same. A lot of what you're learning in the patterns remains the same. Mm-hmm. So, um, there are a few things that, uh, actually the no team is actively working on, uh, like with module, like imports and require. That's a, it's different. One is synchronous, one is asynchronous. And so basically node built their module system. Um, because a lot of users were wanting to modularize what they were doing and bring in parts of code. And then um, ECMAScript, you know, came out with the ES6 modules, and they were incompatible. The interoperability wasn't there. So they're working hard to change that now so that we get even more seamless between the front and the back, Right. Um, which is really nice. And they're putting a lot of effort towards doing that so soon. Um, you know, there's going to be some API work that needs done for web APIs to mash up with Node APIs and things like that. But uh, to make it really, I mean, in that in that sense, as a developer, you can more easily jump back to front, work on different projects on a team. And uh, as hiring managers, you can only hire JavaScript developers. Right. <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, all right. What's in your inbox, David? What's next for you? More bacon. Well, uh, what I've been uh, most recently exploring is TypeScript. Yeah. Uh, and using TypeScript with Node and Electron. And I'm still on the fence. Yeah, it's an um, interesting thought. It, I, I'm kind of exploring this as a because there's some demand to it. There's people asking. More and more uh, development shops are moving to use TypeScript on the front end, and they're asking, you know, can we use TypeScript with Node and with Electron? The answer is yes. 
Um, I'm just the question is: Is it better? Is is it better or not? Yeah, and, um, and it, you know, I I spent some time with the Angular team who do everything in TypeScript, and they're all about the sustainability of TypeScript. That right. long lived projects, it seems to make sense. So in some ways, like you're only going to know if you've run a project for a few years, right? Uh, um, with with TypeScript in the at the center of it. Yeah, unless you're building a, a very large, you know, application where you've got teams of of people working on code base, um, may not have as much. Impact. motivation to, to use types sure but it's also a big commitment to find out if that actually helped you when right. you have that big of a code base um i'm still kind of leaning towards es lint some good rules and some good code coverage and all those kinds of things are are the still a good discipline to have mm-hmm. even if you choose to use typescript those are all still good disciplines to have in your project Interesting. and i think uh gets you Pretty far without having to use something like TypeScript. Awesome. You don't think you're going to miss undefined is not a function? <laughs> <laughs> it's, an old, it's an old friend. I did that in the keynote, right? The error message from 1977. Sorry. Undefined Sorry. is not a function. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I should have kept that in there. It's a good one. No, really I think ease the blow. I'm going to run with that. There's a lot of, you know, error 503. Sorry. <laughs> Brandon? Thanks for you. So big thing, I so one of the great things about <clears throat> getting to be a developer advocate for a company like Particle is that I get to tinker and build things, and they pay me for it. Yeah, so it's your job. The rest of my year is actually going to be building a mesh network of synchronized holiday lights at my home, uh, <laughs> and Particle's footing the bill for that one. So hopefully they don't hear this. That's a shame. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm really excited about that. So we've actually just released some new hardware that enables easier mesh networking, and I've got a whole bunch of NeoPixel strips that are just waiting for me to get them spread throughout the house and get them all synchronized awesome. so i'll be spending some time doing that and then actually doing a uh doing a node app on the back end hosted that actually allows other people to control my lights from the cloud because oh, well. so. nothing could go wrong with that nothing at all <laughs> I, you know i'm not gonna give i'm not gonna turn a display over to anybody else so they can't type anything on a screen uh-huh. it's just gonna be turning lights on and off oh come on maybe have not a, in my kids room some adventure yeah, yeah. So. you can turn on my kids <laughs> lights at two o'clock in the morning can i come live with you yeah come on tara uh, so I have, I'm, I'm really excited. So I, I actually just recently started on the convey team and, um, I'm really excited to get digging into our product cause there's so much that it does and like releasing a bunch of new videos for you all to, uh, see, uh, how convey works, see my dog, Tosh Magosh, um, <laughs> but also cover. Cutest dog ever. <laughs> Cutest dog ever. <laughs> Thank you. I'll pass it on. Um, but also just a bunch of fundamentals about Node in general, like reminding people how async await works, reminding how promises work, and, you know, scope in general and closure. Just because, you know, we can all use a little reminder on those things. Sure. Um, and then uh, next Tuesday, I have episode of Always Forward coming on where I'm interviewing people about um, that are on both the JS Foundation and the Node Foundation uh, to talk about the current merger that's happening between the two foundations. Um, which is really great for um, moving the code base forward and also just community outreach in general. Having these two foundations uh, pair up which should be really great. So. Cool. All right, big hand for our panel. But I only have little hands. <laughs> and we'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks.
Net Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the 